I thought, well, that's all right, because they know what they're doing. I've never had a baby before or anything like that, so I was like, they know what they're doing. So that was about 20 to 25 to 9 in the morning, 20 to 9 I was in the theatre from, and they tried from 20 to 9 to 5 past 9 to try and get my son out. Now, Dr. Laxman had decided that because I had a cord prolapse and one of his feet was dangling, she decided that he should be delivered vaginally. I was only two to three centimetres dilated. At this point, I was in a lot of pain. I didn't know what was going on. Um, I cut my cervix twice to try and get the wee man out. I was pushing on my stomach. She had her hands inside us. Crawled up the bed. It must be two or three times to get away. I was like, oh my God. And I was like, somebody needs to tell me what's going on. I don't know what's, what's going on. Get the baby out, this is serious. And I was like, yeah, no, but this doesn't feel right. I felt nothing between my legs. So I thought, right, okay. So I'm sort of listening out for him crying. And then I'm thinking, well, he's only he's only young. He's not, you know, he's not went full depression. He might not cry. And then it was right push again. And then the place just descended in absolute chaos. They were trying to hide. I didn't have a screen or anything up, so they were bunching up the, the on my belly to try and hide whatever was, I didn't know at the time, but what was going on. I had the nephritist at my head and I had a lovely young girl, well, lady, here. And throughout that whole experience, that lady that was holding my hand, she seemed to be the only person that had my feelings and whatever, do you know what I mean? Like. Um, and then Dr Lynch came in later on and stood at the bottom of my bed and told me that my son had been decapitated during childbirth. Hello and welcome to another episode on the Sean Out with True Crime channel. Now today we have quite a horrific story um, with Laura here, who's, thank you for joining us today, who unfortunately during childbirth at a hospital in Dundee, um, her baby was breech, uh, was to be born breech, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was and breech. And he was breech. Yes, and uh, which led to the decapitation of her child. So this interview isn't for the faint-hearted. Um, if it's not something you want to listen to, feel free to log off now. If not, we will continue. And thank you, Laura, for coming on again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this story has it really tr touched me when I seen it. I, God, you are such a strong woman. I'm, and. <laughs> Yeah, it's 
we'll get started, I guess. Um, so, yes, if we could have a bit of a backstory about yourself, um, sort of growing up and leading up to your pregnancy, that would be brilliant. And... Yeah, well, there isn't, there's not really very much there. Like, childhood was brilliant, uh, upbringing was great. My mum is absolutely amazing. Not really getting strength. Um, went to school, went to college. Had my jobs, worked as a care assistant, um, got my SBQ level three, and then I met Stephen's dad in uh, 2010, 2011. Um, I wasn't really, I'd always protected myself. I wasn't like, wasn't ready to have it. When I was younger, I knew that. It was always a case of, I'll know when I'm ready. Um, so then, yeah, we got together and uh, I did. Sorry, oh, sorry. Hold on. No problem. Got a, a message there. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we became an item, and everything was great. And then my thirtieth birthday, just after that, I found out I was pregnant, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like it was so. I, I was really happy. Everybody was happy. It was like the best thing ever. You know, I don't have any kids prior to that, and neither did Stephen's dad, so it was brand new for the two of us. Um, and we found out on the 20 week scan that I was having a boy, which was even better because mum's got a granddaughter, mum doesn't have any grandsons, so everything was just everything was fine, totally fine. I was still able to work, and everything was going great. And then the 2nd of February, I had a bleed. Um, wasn't a significant bleed, wasn't, I was worried, but I wasn't overly worried. So I went to the hospital um, and that's when I found out that I and the baby's blood were different, it's called rhesus negative and positive. Mm. Yeah, so every time I had a, every time I had a bleed subsequently I'd need to get an injection, which thank God I'm not scared of any dogs because I had, I think it was three or four bleeds. And then on the 13th of March, I woke up in the early hours and because I'd been bleeding prior to this, I'd been wearing pads just in case. There wasn't there wasn't any I was never told that there was any significant like harm or anything like that. I was always took to the hospital, checked over, given an injection, like and sent home sort of thing. There wasn't there wasn't any major concern. So when I woke up in the early hours of the morning, my pad was wet and I'm thinking, right, okay. So I go to the bathroom and things like that, and that's when I sort of realised it. It was clear liquid, so I thought, right, okay, this is different. So I went to the hospital the early hours of the morning because I had a bag packed anyway because I'd been up and down for the the bleeds and stuff. So I went in and I got examined and said that my waters had went, but baby was okay. Everything was looking fine. I got, I got steroid injections into my leg to bring on his lungs and things like that. And it was monitored. I was monitored the 13th, the 14th, the 15th. On the 15th, I started to get contractions at night time, but like that, nothing major. Um, so again, I was taken down to the labour suite where I was monitored overnight. Wasn't allowed to get up. I had to use the bedpan, things like that change of shift Sunday morning I'd buzzed to go to the toilet and the midwife had come over and said um, we'll get you up to the toilet and I says to her well 
I'm really sorry, but I haven't been getting up. I've been using the bedpan. And she said, no, 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 it'll be fine. You'll be all right. So she walked me to the first available toilet. So obviously, without going into too much detail, you go and do whatever it is that you do when you're in there. And I remember looking down. And when I looked down, I could only describe it as like, it looked like a sausage. And I thought, right, okay, what what is this? And it turned out to be my baby's cord. The cord of prolapse. Um, so I hit the buzzer, screaming like a lunatic. They came in the, in the toilet. Now you're talking one of the small toilets that's just on the side of a ward, you know. There's just enough room for one person to be in there. Um, and they then made me walk to the first available room. All I had in my hand was tissue paper holding oh. my son's cord in place. Then he says, right, come on, get on, get onto this bed. So I was put onto one bed. I was then wheeled through to theatre. Subsequently, sorry, before that, I was given a scan on the Friday and I was told that he was still breech and that there'd be no chance that I would deliver him naturally. Um, and it just so happens, it's very ironic, my last scan picture of my son is only of his head, which is well, totally ironic. Um, mm. The circumstances, but I, I didn't know what was going to be happening. So I went into this theatre, everybody's there, there's loads of different sort of people, like anaesthetists and doctors, and so I get put on the bed and they checked his, uh, for his heartbeat, and it was something like 60. Um, so he was obviously, he was in distress. And then I was told to push. Now I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. I was always told that when you were in labour, it felt like you needed to poo, right? Yes. And I don't feel like that. I don't feel like, I don't feel like there's any traction or tension or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I thought, well, that's all right, because they know what they're doing. I'd never had a baby before or anything like that. So I was like, they know what they're doing. So that was about 20 to 25 to 9 in the morning, 20 to 9 I was in the theatre from, and they tried from 20 to 9 to 5 past 9 to try and get my son out. Now, Dr. Laxman had decided that because I had a cord prolapse and one of his feet was dangling, she decided that he should be delivered vaginally. I was only two to three centimetres dilated. He was breech at a low line placenta, she's still, even though, like when you go and you like you watch the videos and stuff, because obviously there's plenty of videos out there now, um, other like other doctors and things saying, are, are you sure this, you know, this is not, this is not just a clear cut, no, no, I'm dead, this is what's happening. So at this point, I was in a lot of pain. I didn't know what was going on. Um, I cut my cervix twice to try and get the wee man out. Um, she was pushing on my stomach, she had her hands inside us. I, was, I crawled up the bed, it must have been two or three times to get away. I was like, oh my God. And I was like, somebody needs to tell me what's going on. I don't know what's, what's going on. Um, no, 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 come down the bed. We have to get the baby out, we have to get the baby out. This is serious. And I was like, yeah, no, but this doesn't feel right. Um, and then all of a sudden I felt, I could only describe it, as pop and 
I don't know why. It's just I don't know what whatever the reason. I thought it snapped my ring. Now I still had my ring on my right hand, and the ring that was on my right hand at that time had me and the baby's dad, Stephen, had our birthstones and my name on it. So I thought it snapped my ring. Don't know why. Don't ask me. Never got any pain relief or anything. So it wasn't like I was out of it or anything. Um, and then I felt nothing between my legs. So I thought, right, okay. So I'm sort of listening out for him crying, and then I'm thinking, well, he's only he's only young. He's not, you know, he's not went full depression. He might not cry. And then it was right push again, and then I'm like, what? And then the place just descended in absolute chaos. Chaos. They were trying to hide. I didn't have a screen or anything up, so they were bunching up the, the cheek on my belly to try and hide whatever was, I didn't know at the time, but what was going on. I had the nephnotist at my head and I had a lovely young girl, well, lady, here. And throughout that whole experience, that lady that was holding my hand, she seemed to be the only person that had my feelings and whatever, do you know what I mean? Like, out of mm. all the people that were in that room that day, I felt like she was the only one that cared, you know? And then the next thing, oh, you're going to sleep. And I looked at the clock on the wall and it said five past nine. So from 22 to five past nine, Dr. Laxman had tried to get my son out. Um, every no, he was breach. That, I mean, I can't even begin the, the negligence there, but what was going through your mind when the room turned into chaos and all the doctors started filling it, the sheet was going up? Did you, did you have a clue what was going on? Or you... No, no, I had absolutely no clue what was going on. I just knew whatever it was, it wasn't good. You know, it was just no. people rushing about and... And I'm looking and I'm thinking, right, okay, what? Now, even even like, even with the most wildest imagination, you're not going to think something like that. You know, you're not, there's no way, there's no way. So I came around the first time and I was in a, like a, I would say like a casual room where they just have the, the curtain things. Um, and my sister was there and I remember waking up, it was very groggy, um, I think that was about half eleven, and uh, I was told that my son hadn't survived, so I remember being really upset, and then obviously because of everything that went on, I can't even imagine what medicines and drugs I had to give me, I fell back to sleep, and I woke up again in what's called the tulip room. Now the tulip room in Nine Mills Hospital is for... Uh, mums and babies and dads whose babies are stillborn or they miscarry after a certain gestation so that they're able it's a lovely room it is going to get me wrong Ringwell's uh, that room is absolutely beautiful considering what you're in there for so Dr Laxman had came in um, at some point and told me how sorry she was now I didn't know at this point exactly what had happened and I remember her sitting on my bed and telling me how sorry she was. And I says to her, look, these things happen. I'm thinking my baby was 25 weeks and five days. There's, you know what I mean? There's, 
other things at force that's happened that's caused this um and then dr lynch came in later on and stood at the bottom of my bed and told me that my son had been decapitated during childbirth and uh the, again again ironic as anything i ended up getting a section anyway because that's the only way they can get his head out so not only had she tried to deliver him naturally saying that c-section was out of the question they ended up having to give me one anyway so at that point i was screaming just absolute screaming do not bring him in here i don't want to see i had no idea what they would bring in does that make sense like yeah your your child's been decapitated right okay so there's the body and there's the head so how how don't bring him in here um and dr lynch said it's all right and the words she used and there's no other there's no terminology she could have used other than i fixed them and what she meant by that was she'd given him most uh stitches uh, to, to attach his head to his body so I could see him. And I was like, I was just, I I kind of, I don't know what I was thinking, don't know what I was feeling. I was all over the place. I was on morphine uh, by drips. So. And then they brought him in and he was on this little blue cushioned board. And um, because of the injuries that he sustained, he wasn't. I couldn't hold him just by himself because obviously he'd been decapitated. So their their only option is to put. It's lovely. It's a nice wee padded. Given the situation, given the situation that <clears throat> sorry people from the hospital found herself in, it wasn't. They none of them were directly involved. They did make it as nice and as. Do, do you know the yeah. one trying to say that they made it? nice comfortable yeah. yeah yeah so he came in um and i had him with me on the sunday night and obviously my sister was there and stephen was there and then we got my mum come up and we got stephen's mum to come up so we could say goodbye and things like that um the monday morning uh i was informed that the police were outside and they came in and they said that they were taking my son to Glasgow via uh, under police escort for his post-mortem. And I'm thinking, that doesn't, that's, that's not right. So anyway, he goes away. Um, I get out of the hospital on the Tuesday. Um, and then they tell me that he's back in Dundee. He's had the post-mortem. And we then have to arrange a funeral. Now, you arrange a funeral for people who have been on this earth and then leave. So we did that. Can't, re can't remember very much of it, to be honest. It's just an absolute fog. Um, picked songs, uh, got flowers done. Just the stuff that you would normally do. Um, got the death certificate um, had the funeral and then the property fiscal got involved and they said they were looking into it because of the severity of the nature of all this what had happened um, had a meeting with 
the pathologist and things like that on the hold on a second. No problem. Yeah, on the fourth of November twenty fourteen. Um we had this meeting and if it's all right with you I'll explain what Yes, no. It said I'll not I'll not use the person's name who who did it because it's not for me to say anybody else's name. But then basically explained that her findings were that the cause of death was due to traumatic delivery and detailed the baby's baby's injuries as followed. Decapitation, which because there was bleeding in the soft tissue around the neck, would have occurred prior to death. So he's basically saying he, he possibly wasn't dead by this point. Um, she then explained that because of the pulling, the spinal cord may have separated prior to death and the baby was most likely unconscious prior to decapitation. And then that's when someone from the hospital had that at the meeting the previous week, the witnesses said that the condition of the baby prior to delivery would indicate he was in a poor condition and probably unconscious. Not dead, probably unconscious. unconscious. Skull, <clears throat> sorry. That's all right. Skull damage and soft tissue injury, which could have been caused during attempted delivery or by cesarean section, bruising to the right shoulder and down both sides of the abdomen into the scrotum, a hematoma of the liver and three areas of bleeding with a lot of blood found in the abdomen, bleeding vessels in the neck due to stretching, bleeding in the heart, bleeding in the lungs, uh, bilateral bleeding under the adrenal glands and kidneys, just, just absolutely horrific. Absolutely horrific what she done. Every, every one of those injuries was cause of her hands. If she hadn't tried to deliver him vaginally, he wouldn't have had any of these injuries. No. You know, like she she basically, for wants and purposes, she brutalized my baby. And it says here that I can't, nobody could say to me my son was dead prior to decapitation. Just like I can't say to anybody, yes, he was, because nobody knows. No. Right? That's one of the questions that's never going to get answered because at that point in time when that's happening, no one's checking to make sure, yes, he is or no, he's not. So then the property of fiscal took another two years and then determined that there was no criminal case. And I'm thinking, what? There's no criminal case because Scots law states that my son is not classed as a person because he didn't take a breath. I think it's right. Okay, you show me somebody who could breathe without their head, and I'll believe you. They didn't have an answer for that. They didn't have an answer for it. You know. Um, okay, my son's not classed as a person because he didn't take a breath. Why do I have a death certificate? Why exactly. do I, Why did I have to have a funeral? Why is my son cremated and sitting here? He didn't exist according to Scots law. So what is it? Because it's never happened. Because it's never happened before in Britain. 
So is it easier just to sweep it all under the carpet rather than, you know what I mean, mm. have, have a look at it on it. Right, okay, this has never happened. <clears throat> so, like, there was, no, <clears throat> there was no criminal case. So the GMC, they couldn't get involved till the property fiscals had made their decision. So that was 2016. So then the GMC then got involved. So there's another two years of back and forth, uh, finding out things and having to go down to Manchester to <clears throat> give my evidence, being told that I couldn't go down and sit in the, I couldn't go down and sit in the hearing on days that I wasn't there because then that would mean that I was, my evidence wouldn't be classed, it would be called into question because I would then have heard other witnesses accounts. So I couldn't go exactly. down there. I wasn't allowed in. Um, then they decided that, no, okay, what happened was wrong, but the likelihood of her doing anything like that again was very slim. So she got to keep her license, nothing happened. You know, and I'm like, wait, wait a minute. I just, I just felt very, very let down. And having to be, having to be in the, in the GMC here and having her sit just like a stone's throw away from me. And I'm giving my evidence and she's sitting there off to my left and she, she could not look at me. Could not look at me. And then when it came to her apology, she didn't even read out her apology. Her apology was written out and it's on one of the notepads that you get, you know, with the the wire at the top, like reporters, like you would use. Yeah. Read out by a solicitor. Her apology, and when when that happened, I just turned like that, and I let him say it, and I let him say whatever he was saying, and then I turned back, and I just lost it, completely lost it. I thought, how dare you? How dare you try and apologise to someone else without it, like it. Not that it would have made any better if it was on proper paper or anything like that, but it looked like it was just a rushed, I'm in a taxi on the way there, this is, do you know what I mean? So, mm. no, it didn't, it didn't sit right with me at all. Um, and then it was like, no, she got away with it, right, okay, there's nothing to answer to. And I've got all my family and friends going, how did this happen? And I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea how this has managed to happen. Catalogue of events has happened and they're still turning around and saying she's not classed as a person for the rest. Uh, uh, why at no point did any medical professional suggest a C-section prior to... They did. They, they did. did. They did. If you read the... If you read the I've got the meetings from the... I've got the minutes from the GMC, and it does state that she was asked several times whether she was doing the right thing, and she turned around and she, and just... she was. She just didn't listen. She didn't listen. There's a there's a YouTube video of this uh, account by uh, Dr. Bushan, and Dr. Bushan's account is quite horrific. Um, she actually had to leave theatre because she was actually going to be sick. Wow. Um, and then subsequently um, one of the 
and Dr Lynch was phoned to come in and Dr Lynch actually kicked Dr Laxman out of the theatre. When Dr Lynch came in, there was nothing she could have done to save anything. Everything had already happened. There was decapitation, every, everything like that had already happened. Dr Lynch couldn't have done anything. No, it's But what she damage. did, she kicked, him, kicked her out. And then and just kicked... subsequently gave me a C-section, brought my son's head out and then reattached his head to like I said, that is one of the. This is one of the most horrific stories I've ever heard in my life. And I was doing a bit of research before our interview, mm-hmm. and you'd think something of this nature would be an absolute one-off. But there's actually a few cases here in the UK of it happening before. I thought it never happened in the UK before. I know it's happened in America, and it's happened in South. America happened in Argentina and they changed their laws and everything like that but as far as I was aware it never happened in Britain before yeah and the doctor in question was she quite an experienced professional as far as I'm led to believe yeah but I have heard subsequently since everything's happened and because I've put my story out there I have heard from other people that say she was actually brutal with them Prior to okay. my prior to me meeting her, there is a couple of people that have came forward and told me their stories, and it's it doesn't make for good reading. But obviously, I'm not going to wait and name anybody or say anything. Um, um, but basically, she she was corrupt and just in general, um, and had said to one patient, "Stop being so dramatic." Wow. Um, Not very sensitive then. No, no. Mm. And like I say, that was was it. So there's no criminal case. The GMC didn't strike her off. So what do you do? That's when I thought, do you know what? I'm going to wait and tell my story. And that's how I went to the sun. Um, Because I thought, I can't... you've, You've gotten away with absolutely everything everything so i'm going to put my story out there so your face is on every newspaper in this country so you have to leave do you know what i mean that is the only thing that i could do you know like hold i was like i get a lot of comments um like oh i don't know how you could i would have done this to her and i would have done that to her and i would have done this to her the only the only times i seen I saw her since what happened was during the GMC hearing and I thought I was told and I was told and I was told by the psychologist and things like that Laura you can't do anything to her oh yeah of course I wanted to jump the table and you know what I mean take a hold of her I I could have done but I I got told I couldn't do that because if you do that you'll harbour your chances of getting justice so basically, I sat on my hands and was told not to say anything to anybody until everything was out the way. So everything's yeah. out the way and nothing's been done. She gets to go back to India where she's still practising. Oh, yeah. shocking. And, like, you're like, well, my life's completely blown apart. 
I, I subsequently never ever got pregnant again. As soon as that happened, I was like, nope. And obviously you were told when I had meetings and stuff, oh, don't worry, um, if you fall pregnant again, we'll take really good care of you. Um, well, no, I should have had the good care the first time. So, no, I won't be. You can't, like, it'll not happen again. I was like, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. You know, so that was it. There was no, straight away there was no, let's try again. And just no. It wouldn't be fair on me. It wouldn't be fair on the son's memory. It wouldn't be fair on the baby I would go on then to have. It, no. No. It so, just no. So after uh, the court case, because would you say the court case kept you almost distracted from grieving for your son? Yes. Yes. I, I, you... well, like I had, had a purpose. From 2014 till 2018 when they gave their determinations, I, had, I was fighting. Yeah, I was fighting the PFs and I was fighting Dr. Latchman and I was fighting with the, I was fighting everybody. Anybody and everybody that would listen. Um, but at the same time, I was told, don't say anything, don't get involved with the papers or anything like that, because it could hamper any case and all this stuff. So when that all sort of fell away, I was a bit, like, deflated. You know, there's nothing that I could do now, because it's all done. I did ask the GMC if there was any chance of, um, what's the word called, appealing it, and was told that, yes, there was, but the likelihood of the appeal being successful was very slim. Nice. I've heard that word, that terminology used throughout the time, and then obviously, while all that's going on, I'm having to let family and friends know exactly what happened. You know, and it's like, oh my god. You know, my mum, my sister, uh, my niece. She was only nine at the time, so we didn't tell her. The full, um, we just told her that uh, he passed away and things like that. Um, and nobody, everybody has like no, not any words for it, but at the same time, they look that it's like they look at me for answers for it, and I'm like, I don't have any like answers. Like, I've been asked, Oh, I don't know how you could do it, I don't know how you could like. Function, and I'm like, well, I've not got a choice. You know, she took my son's life. I'm sure as hell not going to give her my life. You know, uh, my niece. I, I'm doing it for. I was doing it primarily for her. Um, just go her that do you know what? It doesn't matter what life throws at you. You didn't give up, and I know that sounds really stupid, but no. that was my that was my train of thought. You know, and it was like, oh, I don't know how you man. I don't have a choice. And how could you? How could you live after that? Well, the answer to that is you don't. You just exist, which is basically what I do now. I don't. I don't live. Nothing. Nothing makes me overly happy. Nothing makes me emotionally sad. Do you, do you know what I mean? My my blinkers have been taken off, so to speak. You know, there's 
there's no rose tinted glasses anymore. There's no. I just exist. I exist because I choose not to let her kill me like she did my son. No. And me, 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 me doing something like that to myself, that's not doing anybody any favours. You know, I, that would be disrespectful to my family, it'd be disrespectful to my son, you know. So I don't, I don't know how I manage, but I just do. But I certainly don't live my life anymore, mm. I just exist. And where was your, your partner at the time of you at, you know, obviously going into labour, joining the procedure and after? What, I, what had happened was they'd phoned him and they didn't tell him what was happening. <clears throat> and so he'd subsequently phoned my sister because he was thinking it's nothing to worry about. You know, maybe she's just needing stuff taken up to the hospital or something. They never once told him how serious it was. So he then phoned my sister and went, won't go up to the hospital, see if Laura needs anything, blah de blah. Only for my sister to come up to the hospital to be put in a little room to be told that I was in theatre. Then she was told a little while later that I was in one theatre and baby Stephen was in the next theatre. We were in two separate theatres, which means two different places, and then she was told that I was okay but baby Stephen had died. And she's sitting in this wee room on her own. She's she's come up to the hospital thinking, right, okay, something's going on, but it's clearly not as extreme or anything like that because they've not said. So she's come up just thinking, oh, she needs a bit of to be told that. And she, my sister will tell you, she she's, feels like she's left there. Do you know what I mean? And, like she'd been forgot about and... Stuff like that, like, it just just didn't make any sense. Because I think that would be my worst fear is I'm going into labour, and there's there's no one around me. There's no voice around me. I um, because I'd ask yeah. him morning. I'd ask them if anybody can come. I, like the Saturday night and the Sunday morning, I'd said, "Look, is there anything going to be happening here? Because if there is, I'm wanting to have somebody with me." No, no, no. Everything will be fine. There's no reason mm. to call anybody. So I didn't... I've never had a baby before. I didn't know anything. I've put my trust in... Well, uh, to be honest with you, the only person... I don't blame anybody from Ningwells. I don't blame the hospital. I don't blame... I blame one sole person, and that's Dr Laxman. The rest of the people that were in the, the theatre with me that day, they've had to go home and process what they've witnessed. You know, it's, it's nobody else's fault, bar hers. No. You know, like, I don't hate the hospital, I don't like going there. I go there only if I really, really have to. Um, it took me a while to actually go back up to there. I had a friend who was quite ill after it, and I had to get my psychologist to come with me because it was the first time I'd been to Ningwells since what happened. But I had to see my friend because it was quite a... It was actually, she was going through a surgery. Um, so I, when I got there, I was absolutely hysterical, shaking and everything like that. But I, I got it done and I did it. Um, but like that, I'm just, it's just... 
nobody is, is trying to put things into context and obviously uh, when you lose your baby or things like that, you get a little box. I got a little box from Sands and it had uh, mementos and things like that in it. Um, and they, I was given the grief counsellor from the Nine Wells and she was really good. And I was given, uh, put in contact with some of the people from Sands Charity Tayside and things like that. And I remember thinking to myself, like they have meetings and stuff and you know, so they can help each other. But I remember thinking to myself, I can't really go to any of them meetings because there's nobody in that room that... Been through what you've been through. Yeah. It's, I'm, I, I'm not even a shape anymore, but there's not a hole for me to fit in. I'm just like this big, massive, round, squiggly thing. You know, like, I can't... And then, and then at the same time, I'm like, well, if it did go, I don't want people thinking, oh, your case is worse than mine, because that's not the case. That is not my, my point, my issue isn't to say, oh my God, look at me, my case is terrible. Because a loss of a child, regardless, is terrible. You know, it's it's the manner in which it happened. It was the, it was the decisions that led to this happening. Yeah. And subsequently being let down by the procurator fiscals, by Scottish law, by the GMC. You know, these are the people. These are the people that are meant to protect people. I was even told there'd be no fatal accident inquiry either. So I'm like, what? Like, there's no nothing. And I kept on. I remember uh, having a conversation. Uh, I've had this conversation with several people and it's like, is it because I'm just a person? Like, have I had some sort of stature in this world, whether it be celebrity, royal, would it have happened like that? I don't think it would have. Do you know what I mean? Not, not that I'm not trying to make anyone feel uncomfortable or anything, but the facts are what, because I'm just a Joe Bloggs, that it just gets swept under the carpet? You know? So, <clears throat> I can't imagine as well, um, obviously you've come out of fear too, you're recovering in hospital. What was it like going home after all this? It was very, very surreal. It was... I, I didn't, obviously, I didn't sleep very well and... I was on medication and things like that because obviously they'd given us a C-section and the, the, the nurses had to come out every day and give us injections because of whatever it was, I can't even remember. I had that much stuff going on. But I do remember getting up one morning and going into the bathroom and I looked down at my T-shirt and obviously I'd started leaking milk uh, from my breasts. And totally and utterly destroyed me. I remember being so upset when the, when the midwife came in to do her, her check. She was like, what's wrong? And I was like, why, oh why are my breasts leaking? There's nothing to feed. Why are they leaking? And like, just like stuff like that. Like, I then, after a while and when I was able to, I then went straight back on to contraceptive because I thought I cannot 
bleed every month. That's just that's just not happening. You know, I wasn't going to put myself through it. So I tried to protect myself as best as as best as I could. Um, and like having like with the GMC and the property of Fiscals, I was seen by this psychologist and that psychologist. And I was seen by loads of different people just to determine exactly how this has impacted my life. And I remember the, the psychologist. Now, bear in mind, these people have seen me like three, maybe four years later than it happening. And I remember the, the gentleman coming to my house and not interviewing us, but um, finding out how I am and because he was subsequently going to write a report and send it back to the NHS because he was working for the NHS, for their side. Um, and I remember him writing in, the, in his findings that I was well presented. I was turned out I was well presented and things like that. And I'm thinking to myself, what, so because I don't look like shit? You're doing all right. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I was like, you should have seen me 2014, 2015. No, you're seeing me three or four years later when I'm struggling, I'm still struggling, I'm going to always struggle. But what, because I brush my hair and because I have a shower, that makes it okay, that makes it... No, no, it doesn't. You know, I always yeah. remember when I read that, I got so angry and I thought to myself, you absolutely... I thought, you, oh, I am not going to say the words that I thought. And I thought to myself, right, okay, what? So, because I don't look like a bucket of, then, then I'm okay. No, it's, it's, see, what he doesn't understand is, what he doesn't understand, what a lot of people doesn't understand is, I could look, I look like this today, but that's, what I what I look like and how I perceive myself is different. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. I've had my shower today, and I've I've done the usual mundane human things that you do. You brush your teeth, you have your shower. But when I look at myself in the mirror, even now, I just see heartache. I just see complete and utter heartache, and like so obviously, there's been family celebrations and whatever since my mum got married, my dad got married, things like that. So I've had to I've had to do all this regular normal stuff. Didn't want to do it. What is the point? But I can't do that to my family. I've got to take my mask out the bag and put it on. So that everybody is like, yeah, okay, she's doing all right. I'm doing okay. That's all that's all I never tell anybody I'm great or I never tell anybody I'm fantastic because I'm never going to be great and I'm never going to be fantastic again. Right? Mm. It's hoping and rec recognising that, you know what? Yes, I look like crap. I've looked like crap for 2014. I, I have had pictures taken and things like that and I don't, I don't like the look because I don't see... Uh, all I see is pain and suffering and things like that. I don't see happiness or... <clears throat> Even if I'm smiling in the picture, that's not what I see. No, and um, like being I'm I'm 22 weeks pregnant. I, I yeah, do have regular 
Um, yeah no no it's it's important that, you know we, we raise these sort of issues and awareness um but my biggest fear uh, obviously i think every pregnant woman has it of um you know stillbirth or going into labor early yeah of course uh it is something horrendous like that is going to happen but i also think my body's changed so much now like yeah. the the physical feature if i was to to have something happen to, to me or the baby right now really how would that affect me after yeah yeah see i've um, got the section scar and i'm like i've got the little i call it the kangaroo pouch when you get a section you've got that wee bit i've got all that but in the arms you mm. know my son my son should actually be nine now right i should be stressing out because he's changed from that part lunchbox to that part lunchbox or do you know what I mean like I had to go and then go through all of these milestones shall we call it without him being there and then subsequently like my body I don't look like a mum because I've got empty arms that's the way I see it yeah you know like my body not, not that I ever would but if you look at my body without any clothes on, that oh right, okay, she had a kid. Right, okay, she must have had a kid. No, I didn't. Well I did, but do you know what I'm saying? It's like and then when people find out exactly what happened, they're totally gobsmacked. And like I've had messages from people saying, Oh my God, I can't believe that's happened and and even still now, to this day, people are only just finding out about it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. When I put my, when I put, I, I reposted my interview with the son, I reposted that on his anniversary and my TikTok went mental. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, so people, even now, people are just finding out about it. So I did, I went to the son and then I did um, STV News and things like that and I did the radio with Hay Adams and subsequently, I can't even, to be honest with you, I can't really remember how it came about, but with with the people like that's help, like the girl from The Sun, Ruth, she's been absolutely amazing. She's still in contact with me now just to see how things are and things like that. So we kind of came up with a petition, <clears throat> which is on the TikTok page um, and on my Facebook page. And there's also, there's a Facebook page that was set up uh, by the wee man's auntie, Kim, she done, it's called Justice for Baby Stephen, and it's got a petition on it, and the petition is just to get, it's not going to help me, it's not going to make anything better for me, but if I could, <clears throat> if I could use my experience and trauma and things like that to make it better for anybody that's going to have to go through something, hopefully, honest to God, nothing to my extent but like to be told that your baby's not a person after 24 weeks you can't abort your baby after 24 weeks so why are you telling me he's not a person exactly if 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 i've been attacked outside and they'd done something to my pregnant belly they would get done for it because he's classed as a person because he's over 24 weeks so why why oh why 
because he's decapitated, do you take, in my opinion, the easy way out and say, no, he's not classed as person. No, we'll not look at Scottish law. No, we won't try and challenge anything. Just go away. That's they don't want to take responsibility for it. No. Yeah. Go away. And I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the, the blue bear again. Have you, is it? Is he named Stephen as well? Yeah, because we were still talking. I'll, I'll tell the uh, viewers if you don't mind. Uh, before this, of, you've had his ashes. They're in the bear. Mm-hmm. You got on the necklace in the yeah. tattoo as well, yeah. which is a lovely memory. Yeah, um, yeah. No, he's got. He actually. This is really <laughs> ironic, right? But he's actually the only birth certificate he's got is from Build a Bear. And it, it, really? Got, yeah. When you when you get when you go to Build a Bear. And you get a bear done, you get a certificate that says that your bear was made on this day. And so the actual only birth certificate I have is from Build a Bear. I've got a death certificate. But like I say, how can I have a death certificate if he's not classed as a person? Doesn't make any sense, Jen. It really doesn't. Does. No. I love the way oh, you're hugging him there. It's going to make him feel quite sweet. Oh, so you, you went on, obviously, how was your relationship after? After this all happened, um, I quit. A, a lot of relationships came under strain, not just like me and Stevens. Yeah, Friends, yeah. you know, I, I lost some people, shall we say, because they couldn't understand why I changed. When that 16th of March 2014, half of me died that day. So then I'm now processing who I am because I'm not that I'm not that same person. There is no way that you could sustain that much trauma that I've had and not change as a person. You know, there is absolutely no way. And I was diagnosed with uh, I've got uh, psychologist psychiatrist letters there that was used because we did, we, the only thing I got was a civil case. Um, that's the only thing that I did get. Um, so obviously they were asked questions on how how I was and like in terms of going back to work and things like that. And it was stated that the likelihood of me going back to work full time was completely out of the question. Possible part time, possible voluntary work, but. To go back to work full time, never going to happen no. because I suffer from PTSD, I've got my anxieties, I've got all this other stuff that has been put upon me through no fault of my own that I'm then having to process and people are, th- people are saying, oh, you've changed. What? You're seriously telling me you've got a problem because I've changed. Are you honestly? It's like, are you mental? Of course, I've changed. My whole world's been blown apart. I've lost my job. I've lost my my partner. I've, we we ended up on totally different grieving paths because of the situation. The only person that knows half of what I went through and how I feel is Stephen. But at the same time, his grief and my grief are on totally different trajectories because. It happened to me, it was my body. You know what I mean? And like, finding out, like just like having to deal with it all. I remember like after it, 
after the funeral and things like that, I remember like just sort of mulling about the house and crying all the time and just like just completely breaking down. And I remember one day Stephen found me. I was on the veranda. We had a veranda that used to be off the living room, and he come through and I was sitting on the veranda and was just absolutely inconsolable, just crying constantly. Um, and then there's night terrors and there's twitching and even still, even now, I still suffer from night terrors and wets and like really bad anxiety at times. Like if something happens and it's out the blue, my body does, I'm not going to say convulse because it doesn't, but shake like really bad. Um, if things happen and I'm not ready for it then yeah that's when that's when all my symptoms it'd be really really bad yeah um yeah. having to go to the gmc and having to sit across from her and putting putting all my faith and all my strength into the fact that there so it's all right something will happen some like she'll get struck off or she'll get charged or something but no nothing and like I said to you before we came on air, if she was a nurse, she'd have been she'd have been struck off. But because she's a doctor, it's different. I can't even begin to say how absolutely disgusted I am that she wasn't struck off for something as serious. It's I've never heard of anything like it. No, it was basically the likelihood of her doing anything like that again was very small. <laughs> but she's already done. She's already done it. So, do you know what I mean? They didn't, they didn't say to somebody who's murdered somebody, oh, well, the likelihood of you doing that gets really slim, so off you go. Yeah, it was one off. Yeah, mm. well, don't worry about it. You'll know, look, basically, what they're, what they're saying, what I feel they're saying there is, oh, well, you'll know for next time. What? And you there have to live with the grief of your child, yeah, yeah your son. <clears throat> yeah. Killing your son. Mm-hmm. And then, and then putting my body through that. Um, my mum, actually, I had a conversation with my mum uh, not long after it. And obviously when all that was happening in the hospital, my sister was in contact with Stephen and my mum. Um, so she's phone calls back and forward and she's telling them what's happening. And my mum said this, she said, Laura, she said, I remember sitting in my living room and wondering what was going on. Was my daughter okay? Was my grandson okay? And are they both going to make it? So she's then subsequent. She's not just, she's not just completely blew my soul apart. She's subsequently done it to every one of my family. And it's not, by no means, I know none of this is my fault. Not one bit of it. But there is like part of me that thinks, well, if it didn't happen to me, then my family wouldn't be the way it is. Do you know what I mean? I do feel some sort of, not guilt, but do you know what I mean? It's it's a very weird thing to feel because, like, subsequently, my niece um, found out everything that happened when we were at the GMC hearing because it all came out in the paper exactly what happened. Because um, I always told her, I'm not telling you till you're old enough because... It's horrendous. <clears throat> um, 
And I remember, like, sometimes I sit and I think to myself, a lot of people's lives have been ruined because of this. Like, emotionally and things like that. And it's like, that's at my door. But it's it's not, I know it's not, but at times I feel like it's my fault. You know, like, I know it's not, but it's very difficult. Basically, if you put it on paper, I'm the reason that everybody feels like that. Because oh, just being hey, supportive. Yeah, I know, but it's very difficult not to, not to go to dark places because I have. I've, I've been to some extremely horrible dark thoughts and places and like dreams and thoughts and like how, how much did he feel? Did he suffer? You know, it's just it's horrendous, horrendous amount of stuff, and it catches you unaware. It catches you unaware. You could be totally. You'd be feeling okay, and then all of a sudden, boom, a song or a smell or a word, or, you know what I mean? Or, oh, congratulations, oh, yeah, I didn't want to tell you we're having a baby because of what you've been through, but, you know what I mean? Really, I'm, of course. I'm always going to be the elephant in the room. You know, like, my cousin, uh, he's just had a wee girl, and he was like, is it okay if I send you some pictures? I'm like, of course it is. It's not, it's not your fault. You know, I don't want to be excluded from anybody else's happiness because of what's happened to me. But that's how people think. You know, yeah. it's not a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not criticising anybody for thinking like that. But these, these are some of the factors that I don't think the Procurator Fiscal or the GMC have taken into consideration. I'm now having to spend the rest of my life being baby Stevie's mum and every bit of it that goes with impact in that. Like what happens if my niece wants to have kids and she asks me to be there? She asks me to be a birthing partner. What? Like none of that's been taken into consideration. Like how I manage, how I function going forward. Um, like I was asked a question, uh, what are you afraid of? Not that long ago by someone and nothing. Now everybody should have some sort of rational or irrational fear of like drowning, uh, like falling out the window, whatever. I don't have that now. Because my, my fears happened. Yeah. You know, yeah. like same as the same as being happy and joyful and everything like that. To be honest with you, I I put on the front and then I let people think that I'm happy because I don't want them worrying, but basically it's just like, yay, wave a flag, yay, I'm excited. That's how bad it is because that's, that's the way it is. It's is it, daily. What's know. it like reliving it? I mean, after it's it's been it was back in 2014, I mean, yeah. even nine years later, is it still... Well, I can imagine it's extremely painful. Yeah, yeah, it is. But at the same time, like, I have had people say, maybe you should stop going on about it now. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I'm like, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Um, whether whether it's me putting my videos on TikTok or whether it's sharing stuff, like um, when I go up, on his anniversary, there's a, there's a tree 
there's a tree in the botanical gardens in Dundee and it's from Simba. And Simba's a charity to help with uh, stillborns and miscarriages and stuff. And I got a gold, uh, I got a metal leaf made and it's got his name and everything on it and it's attached to the tree. So that every year on his anniversary and at Christmas I go up and I put flowers down and things like that. Um, but um, it's never gonna, it's never gonna leave me. It's never, never gonna go away. Like the pain, the pain and the suffering, and it's, it's not it's never gonna heal. Do you know what I mean? It, it's, it's for want of a better word, it's terminal. Do you know what I mean? It's never gonna, it's never gonna get easier. It's never gonna get because I've still got milestones to come. He should have been 16, he should have been 21. You know, I've, I've still got all this to come, like first day at school, that was, that was quite bad. Um, and just sort of, like, seeing everybody else happy. And like, it's not that I don't, it's not that I'm not happy for them or anything like that. Not once have I said this happened to somebody else and not me. I've never once said that. But, it's just coming to terms with it and the best way that I thought that I could do that is to not let her she's destroyed me mentally and she's destroyed me physically but she will not she will not get she will not take me I would not let that happen like I say no. I used I used many it's quite a big factor in that from the start and I have to show her that it doesn't matter what happens you can't give up you know like i know i know things are not going to get like fabulously better i'm not expect like the rest of my life is just going to be existing because the worst possible things already happened so i don't have there's no like any subconscious fears or anything like that because they're all gone because my my birth my my Pregnancy was fine. The delivery was like a horror story. Um, the cause of death on my son's death certificate, the first cause of death actually says traumatic delivery. So they, there's another reason. They've st they've stated that he died because of traumatic delivery, yet still not held accountable. Doesn't make any sense. You know, and it just... I have come... I have come quite a bit. I have come quite a long way. I, I do work. I work part-time uh, in a shop um, and it's just getting myself back to some sort of normality but knowing at the same time and not being naive enough to say my life is chaos. You know, I, I, my, I just something could happen out the blue and my symptoms and I'm away. You know, it's just it's learning and just, I don't I don't know how I do it. Like, everybody, I don't know. I, I wish I could tell you, I wish I could bottle it up and sell it, but I don't know. There's just something within me just keeps me going. I don't know what it is. And you mentioned earlier that your friends and family are quite nervous about telling you about their, their new pregnancies and... Mm -hmm. How did you feel internally about 
you know, going to see, or when your friends and family would announce their pregnancies, um, or you would see their newborn babies? Obviously, um, excited, happy, but at the same mm. time, you've always got that little bit at the back of your head, you know, that says, oh, you're missing out, but have I, have I let that come to the forefront of my mind all the time? I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm going to end up on my own with nobody. You know, I have to, I have to be like, right, okay, because it's no one's fault, but hers. So I can't, I have to be involved in people's lives. Because, like, my mum, my sister, uh, even sister Kim, his side of the family, everybody's been so fantastic with us. I then can't turn around and be like, well, I'm not speaking to you, I'm not happy because you're, you're moving on with your life. It's nobody's. It's nobody else's fault. No. I totally accept that everybody else's life has to move on. Yeah. Mine's has to a certain extent. <clears throat> Sorry, but my life won't progress. I'm quite. I'm okay where I am. I'm not happy and content. And it's realizing that and telling everybody, like my mum and sister and partner, things up. That doesn't mean that I'm not happy, but like I'm perfectly happy in the situations that I'm in, but it's not, don't expect straw hats and trumpets because you're not going to get that, because that, that side of me is gone, you know, like there's no, there's no yippee yahoo moments anymore, you know, it's just finding the way to process it without hurting anybody else's feelings, but my, the, the people that are really close to us, they kind of know that, and they're really good. And my sister, she's absolutely amazing with us, absolutely amazing, and has been. And I feel sorry for her. I might get a wee bit upset. I feel sorry for her because she had to go through all that with me. I was on pain relief and things like that, so my memory, and Stephen as well, my memories are slightly cloudy, and but they too, they too had nothing. Their memories of that day are completely ingrained into their heads. Yeah. You know, same as, same as like my mum and Stephen's mum. All that stuff's ingrained in their heads. My, I don't know how I've managed it, but my, my mind just sort of looked after my body very well. Like at the start, I couldn't remember her name. I couldn't remember Dr. Latzman's name, and I was told it several times, several, and I could not physically remember, could not say her name. I had to get it written down on a bit of paper, and to be honest, I think that's my subconscious way of looking after myself. Don't focus on her. Do you know what I mean? It's, she doesn't matter. You know, and like, having to go and do all these things, uh, like, go to the GMC and go and sit in meetings for uh, post-mortem results and things like that. I didn't want to do it, but I didn't have a choice. You know, it's not all the stuff that I've done is just, it's none of it's been through choice. You know, but I, I get, I kind of get well, because my sister's like, you're the strongest person I know, and I'm like, well, it's alright, yeah, that bit he is, but different in here you know like the physical the physical and the mental are two totally different things 
It's just so, I'm just quite lucky that either one or the other goes. The two of them didn't go off at the same time because I'm not quite sure what would happen. My psychologist always said that when everything's over and done with, you're still going to have peaks and troughs. My, my life is just, and that's only me and the situation and the thoughts. That's it's mm. got nothing to do with anybody else or anything like that. It's just me processing the situation. And like I say, I still get, <clears throat> I still get night terrors and wets and like jerks and things like that. I could, I could be really quite restless. And that is with, that's with having medication for that as well. Like, yeah. Um, tablets at night. Um, I'm on three different types and they're quite high dosage and I'm still managing to wake up during the night. Like sometimes, like the doctor when he gave me my prescription was like, are you able to get up in the morning? And I'm like, yeah, I still get up even though I take what I take. But it's some nights it doesn't keep me asleep. And I could be up two, three, four times a night. And I'm, I'm not up because I want to be. I'm up because I feel like I'm looking for something. That's what it feels like, and you know, it's searching. I don't know what I'm searching for, because whatever I'm searching for, I'm never going to find it. But at, at, at certain times of the year, it's it could be worse. Anniversary, Mother's Day, Christmas. But then I've always said to myself, if I don't, if I don't take my mask out my bag and put my mask on at these times of year, or like when my mum got married or when my dad got married, then I'm hurting them. Do you know what I mean? And they were they were really good because the wee man got to come as well. He got he's got his own little puck. Um and he was at mum's wedding and he was at dad's wedding and he got pictures with my dad and my dad's wife and my mum and her husband. So they're very good at including them um in things because it's never gonna go away. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not what happened, it's the manner in which it happened, which makes it never going to go away. No. You know, had no. it miscarriage or stillborn, not, I'm not saying for one moment that they're not traumatic, I'm not saying that, um, but the manner in which it happened to me, that's never going to go away, that's always going to be there. It's no. just having. To, it's just learning to process it and live with it. Although my psychologist did say that if it wasn't for my dark humour, that would be, I would be in a far worse off place. So my humour can be quite dark. And my mum and my sister's like, "Oh my God, you shouldn't say stuff like that." <laughs> <laughs> I'm a terror for it. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of. Like, because like be, I'd be in situations where it sounds really terrible, but I was in a situation where um, there was a dolly in the house and it came off, and I walked in the living room as at that moment, and my partner and his family and that just sort of looked, and the look on the face was like, whoa, and my automatic reaction was, no, the first time I've seen that. And then I walked out and they were like, oh my god, what? Is this... Yeah. 
what I that's what I that's how I do it. It's, it's how you cope, dark humour. Yeah. I'm I'm classic yeah. for that. Yeah. Like my 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 partner was like, Oh my god, Laura and I'm like, Well what do you, what other reaction could I possibly give you other than that? And mm. totally but then that's letting them know subconsciously, I think that's kinda of letting people know that it, it is okay. Nobody knows what to say to me, right? I'm the I'm the like I would be the worst person to speak to ever because people are like, Well, what'd I say? How do I approach this? What I, there's nothing you can say, right? You're never gonna say anything bad because the bad's already happened. So just like I've always said to me, if you want to know, come and ask. You're old enough now, come and ask. Warts and all, I don't have a problem. And I think that I think that annoys some people that I don't have a problem giving my warts and all. Because mm. of the situation. You know, like I say, I've been told maybe you shouldn't talk about it anymore or maybe maybe you should be it is and it's like, well, I can't do that because it's no it's no in a box. Do you know what I mean? It's day to day life. I struggle to, to fathom how anyone can even approach that in in that yeah. manner. So I mean, it's something like that happens to one of my friends or family. I wouldn't say, oh, when are you going to get over it? When, you yeah. know, when are you going to stop talking about it? It's Yeah, it's just, that's, that's just some of the things that I deal with, you know, and it's mm. just, most of the, don't get me wrong, I would say probably you're always going to get your, when you put yourself out there like I am now doing, um, you're always going to get, right, you're always going to get your wee trolls that should be living under the bridge and trying to steal goats and whatnot. Nine times out of ten, everybody the, the response that I've got has been amazing. It's been absolutely yeah. amazing. Um, the comments, the signatures on my petition. I need to get ten thousand signatures. To, and we'll get on to to, to yeah. your petition yeah. shortly because you're doing wonderful things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been to I've been to Parliament. I've spoke with Jean Freeman and Kath. I might always forget her name. Catherine Calderwood was it? I think maybe mm. her name's Catherine. Um, but subsequently, no long after that, COVID happened. So everything, for good reason, got stopped. You know, but I don't want, if I don't continue this through my petition and things like that, then what happened to my son happened for nothing. Exactly. So how did you get, we'll talk about how you got to going, get involved with, it's involved with five women, am I correct? Um, of starting a charity and also uh, pronouncing yeah. this petition. Yeah, no, the petition was started by me myself. Well, okay. it was done with the or the BBC. It was one of the two, and it helped me uh, put this petition up. Now, the reason that it says stillborns, a legal identity for stillborns, is my son doesn't have, there's not a term for my son. So... I couldn't put that because I wanted, I wanted everybody that's sadly lost a baby over twenty four weeks to feel included, because there's not enough. We don't get we get a little box, okay, and we get a little. Forget me not. Oh, I'm sorry, this has happened to you, but that's it. But yeah, if we mm. go and terminate the baby after twenty four weeks, we are held accountable and could be taken to court or whatever. You know, it doesn't make any sense. You know, and especially, it, especially before the 24 weeks as well. They're not even classed as a baby. 
No, I, I, that's, that was one of my next uh, subjects to bring up is, do you believe that, well, uh, how many weeks should a baby be classed as a human being? Um, it all depends on, like, from obviously the, the moment of concept, uh, conception. But as soon as you see that baby on the screen, you're fucked up. There you go. Yeah. There's, there's the head. Look, there's the heartbeat. As soon as you can see and hear a heartbeat, that's what classes you as a person. If you, if you're lying unconscious somewhere, the first thing they do is feel for your pulse. So therefore, that is you. You are a person. Mm. That's the way I see it. That's the way I see it. 100%. Obviously, I've... What, what I think a lot of this has come down to is not person-centred care. Every, mm. every, in, in the medical profession, everything should be done on a person-centred approach. Now, I didn't get that, and it's written in some of these notes that I didn't get person-centred care. So, for all this that's happened, and subsequently after it, I'm just trying to make sure that what happened to my son doesn't go unnoticed. And to let other people know that, yeah, your, your baby does exist. It doesn't matter whether it's, even if it's before 24 weeks, there has to be change to having stuff in place so that parents of children who pass away, whether it be miscarriage or stillbirth, feel included. You don't feel, in, I don't think there's enough inclusion for people that have had to go through child loss. Like, a kid that's lost a parent is classed as an orphan. Um, but what, what do you? There's not a name for a parent who's lost a baby or a child. There's not. No. And your life's not. Your life's never the same. It's never the same. No. Oh, you're full of what ifs. Should have, would have, could have all the time. And I just think that because it's such. I think a lot of people don't want to talk about it because through fear of offending or upsetting things like that. But like I'd rather that I don't I'd rather that people say my son's name. I class him as Stephen. You know, like it's don't think that oh right, okay, it's been three years, maybe that's enough. We shouldn't have talked we shouldn't have talked about it anymore. Every baby matters. Regardless whether it's 12 weeks, 20 weeks, regardless, every every baby should have a right. Because is a, a baby still classed as a miscarriage up until 23 or 24? I think so. I'm not I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Um, but like you say, before 24 weeks, they don't even, they're not even classed as a baby. Yes. Mother and fetus. No. What? Mother and fetus, yeah. Yeah, we're not living in the 1900s anymore. You know, like, Mm. people could come out and say that they're trans or bi or whatever. So people get term, people could terminology, could use terminology for how they feel and what they are, and that's totally fine. I'm not getting at that. But yet you can't class a baby as a person over 24, under 24 weeks. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You can begin to feel movement, um, I've noticed recently, and uh, all the things that are the motion. I do, I personally believe that from 12 weeks, mm-hmm. um, yeah. it's, you, you, like you said, when you go for your first scan, that mm-hmm. is, when you see your baby, it is, in fact, 
classed yes. as a baby, but it's not seen like that. It's, it no. puzzles me. No, it really how that's Yeah, we're still in the medieval times. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And it needs to change because, unfortunately, we are going to have circumstances like mine. Nothing's, nothing is guaranteed. If things go wrong, I get that. But to go through something like this and then be told, no, he's not classed as a person and what she said wasn't wrong. End of. Have you heard of any cases similar to yourself since yours? No. 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 Not that I'm aware of. Um, I, not in Britain anyway. I do know I have had people uh, contact me from other places like uh, America, uh, South America. I know there was a case like that in Argentina. And subsequently, they got laws and everything changed because of it. So if they could do it, how come we can't? And we can't. can't. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been in contact with a lovely a lovely lady, can't remember her name, I'm so bad with names. Um, and she has a maternity group in Australia. And they look at trauma to females during birth and things like that. So they've shared my petition and everything as well. So, it's, to be honest with you, Jen, it seems to be the only people that aren't listening to me live in my own country. No. Do you know what I mean? People from America, people from South, uh, South America, Australia, yeah, we all share your story. Yeah, we are so sorry that happened to you. But yeah, here in Scotland, no, nothing. And I don't mean I don't mean just like people. I mean people in power, people in charge. Mm. You know, people that can make a difference aren't doing it. But well, yeah. that's why I'm glad you're here today because we will spread the word as much as we can yeah. But yeah, on I'll this platform. People, I'll have people that I don't even know messaging me from a different country to say, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry it's happened to you. I've signed your petition. I've shared it." Mm. And so. so Let's go back to starting the petition. So, what exactly is your petition? It is to get a it's to get a legal identity uh, from twenty four. Yeah, before twenty four weeks. No, no, for for stillborns. To get a for stillborn, yeah. Identity. Um, and <laughs> after I did the radio show with the BBC, um, and I did the radio show for the BBC with Kate Adams. And it went from 100 signatures to 6,000 within like half a day. And how many signatures are you aiming to get? It says 10,000, but I would take absolutely anybody. If I had the time and I had, if I had the time and I had the capabilities, I'd be, I'd go and trap everybody's door in the whole wide world. But that's just not logical. Mm. So it's just... And we'll put, we'll, sorry. No, on you go. No, I say we'll put the link to this uh, to your petition in the description box below this video. Yeah. So everyone yeah, better get signing. Yeah, it's just so it's, so it's not going to help me. It's not going to help Stephen. There's nothing going to. But just I don't want what happened to him to be for nothing. And if I could help anybody else, then I'm totally. I I would be more elated knowing that what happened to me because like when when I was in the hospital they did a skier a skier report which is a significant clinical event analysis review um 
So that was done, and I was quite happy with that because that means they've looked at my case, they've looked at everything that was wrong with it, and they've come up with a set of, a set of structure or ideas that's going to change so that that doesn't happen again. Mm. That's the stuff that I want. I want every avenue to be exhausted to the point where you can never ever say it'll never happen again because nobody knows what's going to happen. But every reasonable avenue has been went. We've went down every reasonable avenue to make sure this doesn't happen again. But rather than that, <clears throat> they just went, no, 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 he's not a person. <clears throat> no, there's no criminal case. And no, she doesn't need to talk off. I don't understand. That is, that's so so she is, yeah, and she is still practicing to this day? Yes. She lives in India. She practices in India. Wow. Well, God. So... I, I, it doesn't. It's outstanding. But, That's the worst bit. Mm, you can only imagine. So, and you've exhausted, like you said, you've exhausted every avenue. Yeah, I've, I've done. I've done everything that you said, told me to do. Don't say anything. Wait on the PS. Right. Wait on the PS. No, there's no criminal case. Right. Don't do anything. Wait on the GMC. But at, at the hearings, you'll get struck off. Yeah. Totally. No. Nothing. So. I'm just, I don't want to, I don't want to seem like I'm always in people's face, but at the same time, that's all I've got. You know, like, me telling my story and uh, going over it all the time, that, that's all I've got left. If I don't if I don't tell my story, then sadly, it, it possibly could get forgotten about, which means it could happen again. Whereas if I keep my, if I keep it fresh in people's minds all the time, then I'm trapped. The best thing that could happen here is make sure it doesn't happen again. And the only way I see that happening is by keep telling the story and not going away. Mm. A lot of our, our guests who come on and tell their stories find that they, it's almost therapeutic when they yeah. relive it's, and it's repeat difficult. it. It's difficult, it's hard, but I've already went through the hardest bit. Reliving it's Reliving it's not a fraction of what it was at the start. Like yeah. I thought, I seen this, I seen this meme the other day, and it was, it was a love heart, and it was in a jar. And your grief doesn't get smaller; the jar just gets bigger. So you, 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 and you therefore grow around your grief. Your grief doesn't dissipate, go smaller, and disappear. It stays exactly the same. You just hope you just mould yourself around it, which I'm totally, understandably 100% happy to do I'm not, there's no way I'm just going to walk away and be like, no that's happened to me but let's change the subject not a chance, not a chance And so you've joined forces uh, for a charity with five other mums Yeah, I was was involved with Itty Bitty for a little while, yeah Um, Are you still involved? Yeah, yeah, not as much not as much anymore but what they do is they um they make pack for babies um who have uh died uh stillborn uh or miscarriage and stuff because there isn't isn't a lot of stuff out there like i remember you get a little pack of nappies and basically they look like a little bit of cloth with some sticky tape on it and i remember that one of the founders ashley she told me that they cost a fiver 
five and all you all you all you're wanting to do is dress your child like Stephen was already dressed he had like an all-in-one like onesie thing knitted but nobody thinks of stuff like that when you're in the hospital so like itty bitty these these packs are put together from bereaved parents um and ashley ashley actually she set up itty bitty because she lost her son and during her grief she actually came about with this whole thing of making packs for other people that are going to go through something similar so that they don't have to worry that their baby's going to be naked which i find is amazing mm. um it's just letting people know that they're not on their own because it is it's one of the most loneliest feelings in the world um but just till just till ashley's thought process was just to make people let people know that they're being thought of and it comes with a nice letter and things like that and sometimes we try we put blankets and uh vests and maybe a little baby goat we try to put in as much as possible now obviously we don't know sizes we're only guessing so if possibly the stuff doesn't fit then the parents can take that stuff home and at least somebody's give them something for their baby, the baby. you know oh, so, so even though it, it might not fit and the try what we also what they also try and do is they try and have like a little trinket two little trinkets so one goes with baby and one stays with mum and they try to do the same with blankets and um, it's just it's ashley and Cher. They're just an early. They're just amazing what they do. Amazing. And do you know how they're funded? Uh, they're not. They're not actually they a proper charity yet. You have to have X amount coming in a month or something to become a charity. They just—they're actually all their stuff, all their knitted stuff, is actually done by asking people who could knit if they could take the time out of their busy day to knit a couple of cards. And that a couple of blankets. It's all done. It's all there's no there's nobody everything's done by just asking. Asking for help. Could you possibly knit some blankets? Could you possibly No, you can donate. You could like they do a wave of light every year and um you could donate money because the pack costs about ten pounds. Once you get everything in and things like that, having to send it places and things like that. But then if you donate, then you get to put a little card in that's got your baby's name on it. And you're basically saying to the family, this is in memory of my son or your baby, or this is in memory of my daughter or you. Um, yeah, so there is a lot of a lot of really nice people out there that just take the time to knit booties, hats, mitts, blankets, little teddies. They do all manner of different things. And it's, it's a company, it's a company and not a club, that's the worst word to use, but it's a, a place that you don't find yourself in until you're in there. You don't know about none of this stuff. I didn't know about Sands. I didn't know about the Symmetry. I didn't know about any of these uh, charities until what happened with the wee man because it sounds really horrible, but I didn't have no... Not no interest, don't get me wrong, that's not the right word. But 
there was no reason for me to know about them charities, if you know what I mean. And I didn't mean that disrespectfully, um, but there wasn't, you know, because I none of my family's ever had, well, not that I'm aware of, none of my ever through any sort of problems or miscarriage or stillborn or anything. So you don't know about these places till you need them. And, and are there many charities out there? Other um, than obviously itty bitty. Yeah, there is. There's quite a few. Well, itty bitty is just basically some bereaved parents that are trying to become a charity. But yeah, off the back of people and having their um, their world fall apart, some people have done amazing things. There's like there's free as wish, and there's all these other types of charities and organisations and just like not even charities like help groups. People have set up like the, the amount of stuff that I've found online of different people that have set up different Facebook groups and pages just to just to say, do you know what? I, I'm a mum with empty arms as well. I know how you feel, you know. And it's 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 absolutely it's so lovely to know that people are doing this type of stuff because you do feel alone. You do feel. Because there's only one other person that feels the grief like you, and that's the, the other parent. You know, that's the mum and dad. Okay, you've got your aunties and your uncles and your grannies and your granddads and things like that, but they'll they'll not feel the loss as as much as the mum does or the dad does. You know, and especially the mum, especially when your body starts telling you that you've had a baby, i.e., when your when your boobs start leaking and things like that or you know when your body's trying to get itself all back into the right order because they've been in and they've moved things around you're still having to do that but you're doing that and like when you look at your baby you think you're so worth it everything all that labour pain and all the bloody Braxton Hicks and every look what I got whereas people like me we don't have yeah we don't have the yeah, we don't have the, not the finished article. That's the wrong thing to say. I always say the wrong thing, but it's just how it progress, how it relays in my head. Um, we don't have that. You know, we've all all we've got of what ifs, and it's difficult to not be any other way because who would he have been? Who would she have been? Would she have my eyes? Would he have my? You know, every parent goes. It's the same thought process to everything. It's just that when when you lose your baby, you don't get to find out all these questions that you get asked when you're pregnant. Oh, I wonder, wonder whose hair he's going to have, or wonder, you know, like all the stupid, silly questions you have with family and things like that. Like, oh, well, we better not have ginger hair or this, that, the next thing. You then never find out anything like that. You do, mm. but not to the not to the extent, and it doesn't mean. Like, a mum with empty arms, her heart's just as big as a mum that can hold her baby. It's just it's different types of love. And did you have any, were there any support groups around after? Um, well, like I say, there was like sons and things like that and the girls from Itty Bitty. Um, but I just felt, because mine's was different and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to belittle anybody else's situation but there, there was yeah there was help there if I wanted it put it that way mm. 
Yeah. It was just difficult. Yeah. It's difficult as for me as a person. Not not because of any of the the groups or anything. I just didn't find it helpful for me because I'm the only person. If that makes mm. any sense. No. So what is life like now? How do you deal with the grief day to day? I just do just do just basically day to day. I know when I know when there's certain weeks, there's certain days that I know it's coming, so I start to get some sort of like triggers and my emotions will start to sort of dissipate round about the anniversary and round about Christmas and Mother's Day and things like that. Um but it's it sounds so easy when you say it, but it's very difficult. It's just listening to myself, listening to my body. My body knows when it's had enough. Like sometimes I could become really tired, and like after today, once I'm finished with you, um, once I've finished the interview, there'll not be very much else happening today because it does take a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like it's just acknowledging that there's certain times of the year that's going to be tough or it's just acknowledging that today could be totally different to tomorrow because something could happen tomorrow and it'll just set me off it's knowing it's knowing that I'm, my my physical health could be totally unpredictable just given the circumstances that I find myself in and it's knowing that it's okay to be like that. I've, I've kind of made peace with the fact that I'm a big, chaotic, squiggly mess. I don't, there's not, I'm not a shape anymore. You know, and it's just dealing, dealing with it the best way I know, which is speaking about it and making people aware and not going away and not shying away from the fact that, yes, it was me because that's who I am now. Mm. Baby Stephen's mum now. I'm not Laura Galazzi. The care assistant, or I'm not Laura Galazzi, the the daughter or the sister, or, and I don't I don't mind that. I don't mind being known as Baby Stevens' mum. I really don't. If that's what people want to know me as, I am more than happy to be called that. My circumstances, yeah. yes, I were totally different, but that's that's the path that I was meant. I'm not religious or anything like that. Not got it against anybody that is but that's the path that's where my path led me so I think it would be I wouldn't be being truthful to myself if I decided just to put it in a box and put the lid on it and then that'll be exactly. it I wouldn't be I wouldn't be doing myself or my son any favours and like I say it, go, it does come to proper events like my mum's wedding my dad's wedding he had these little tucks on and um, and we used to do we used to do a sands walk once a year before COVID. We used to do a sands walk around Camperdown Park, which is a big uh, park in Dundee. So we used to do that once a year. So he'd come with us on that. We'd have matching t-shirts. Mine would say Mama Bear, and his would say Baby Bear. And we'd walk do the walk once a year to raise money for sands because it does cost money for the boxes and things like that. Um, and it's just that that's my way of paying back, giving back <clears throat> to them being there for me, me doing the walk and like because my my mum, me, my mum, my sister, my niece, my best pal, 
we'll all do it together. And we've all got our t-shirts and it's got his name on it and we're all there for him. And then we'll have the memorial twice a year for Sands as well, uh, obviously before COVID. It's just starting to start back up again. Um, where you go and you light a candle at Easter and then you light a candle at Christmas and you get your baby's name read out and it's just it's just knowing that you're not forgot about which is not yeah you know it's yeah. it's knowing that because as much as you I didn't ever want it to happen to me I didn't have a choice and I can't I can't just turn my back on it because the people who are have decided that no it's not going to work well no well if you're not going to help me then I'm not going away I'm not mm. going away not if you if you guys are saying that Scottish God dictates that he's not a person because he didn't take a breath then I'm going to do my utmost to try and get that law looked at so that if this ever happen again which I hope that God it doesn't I don't want anybody to be sat in front of somebody else and basically said, I'm sorry, your son doesn't exist because he didn't take a breath. No, no. Especially given the circumstances of everything that happened, you know, because, mm. like I say, my life was completely on a totally different trajectory than what I thought it was going to be. You know, it's and some of it's good and some of it's bad, but you can't impact someone's life as much as what they have to mine and turn around and tell me no he doesn't exist he's not a person but here's a, here's a death certificate and you've got to have a funeral so my, um, my, main, my main question to them would be what was in the box then do you know what I mean what if that's not a person in that box what's in the box then no you know, it's, it's, it's um, basically that's it. At the end of the day, I'm not going away and I'm not going to shut up. That's basically yeah. that is it. I like that. No, you're doing great things, Laura. And honestly, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I, like I said, I was I was really nervous to do this podcast today. It was. I read your story and sorry. When you said you were pregnant, I was like, oh my god. Were you expecting to get the reaction you've had from other sort of pregnant people? Like, should I not tell her? Should I? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do understand that and I get that. But all I, yeah. is, all I would say is I'm not sitting here wishing it happened to someone else and somebody else's baby. No. So don't ever, no. don't ever be, don't ever be sorry because you're pregnant in my presence or anything like that because I'm not, I don't hate all children now and all pregnant mums and things like that. That's totally no. as far from the truth as you could get. I want everybody to have healthy, happy babies. You know, yeah. me, me wishing bad on anybody that's pregnant isn't going to... The only thing it's going to do is make me... It's going to make me horrible. No, that's not the intention. But I do know that listening to my story does... Raise awareness, does, definitely. Yeah, but it does evoke a lot of thoughts and feelings of people that are pregnant and I do I do get it and I understand but all I would say is I don't tell my story to scare anybody I don't tell my story to upset anybody you know everything that I've done and all I've always made sure that they know 
that it's not an easy listen. You can choose not to. I, I'm not banging on your door saying, listen to me. I'm just making people aware of the situation that happened to me and my son, what subsequently led to my son being decapitated and just letting people know that it's okay if you don't want to hear it. It's okay to turn around and say, I don't want to hear that, but don't expect me to be, to be quiet and not tell anybody else. Don't tell me. No. Don't tell me to forget about it. Don't tell me, you know what, it's been a couple of years, maybe you should stop talking about it. That's not going to happen. And I'm sorry for people that think like that, but that's not going to happen. But I do always make sure that people know that what I, when I am going to say stuff, it is going to be... There's no other word for it. It's graphic. It's brutal. It's barbaric. It's inhumane. It's flipping pre-medieval things. But no, it happened. It happened in this day and age. And our hospitals should be better equipped for things like that. And I do think Dr. Latzman should have been pulled away. But then mm -hmm. if she's the most senior person there, nobody's going to the challenge them. But at the end of the day, it's her choice. So that's how I do blame her 100%. It's not yeah. that she made the wrong decision. Yes, she did. But she knew. She was told. She was advised that she was making the wrong decision. She chose not to listen. So the blame is 100% at her door. No one else's. No. It's nobody else's fault but hers. Yeah. And, yeah, if, you, if you'd like to support Laura or anything she does, we'll be putting the links to your um, your petition in the description box below this video. You also mentioned you had a TikTok earlier. Yeah, I've got a TikTok account. But it's just, it's got my part. I thought I had on it, but it's also got, like, little stories that happen. Like, I remember I was ironing the T-shirt um, last year, I think. And I was, I was feeling low. I was really feeling quite down. And and I've, I've, it's actually on my TikTok, you'll see it. And when I moved the iron back over the T-shirt, this pattern appeared on the T-shirt. And it looked like one of the man's hands. And I've actually put the video on TikTok. And it, it like, he, he must have knew I was feeling low. Because it's exactly that handprint. Well, um, I actually might get you to send me that video. I might put it on this, the end of this podcast now or something. Yeah, yeah, honestly. Yeah, wow. Well. I've also got a robin on this arm, and that's the actual robin that came and sat on my wee man's flowers at Christmas last year. When I went to put his flowers and his wreath down, the robin came out the, the bush and actually sat on his flowers. So it's just Aww. like wee videos like that I put up, or... It's just basically videos that anybody would put up, but I do tend to put up stuff like when I go up to the when I go up to the memorial or things like that, and just weird stuff like the thing the thing with the iron that was just that was just a different level. Everybody that I've shown is like, oh my god. So, <laughs> I just, I just I, like I said, I could I could try and put it at the end of this podcast, yeah. definitely. And I, I mean, I'm all I. I I truly believe when people pass over that they do try and show signs in one shape or form. So yeah. that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and totally the same. Like I said, that, that is a, a different level. That, mm. The marking on the iron, on the T-shirt, is just a different level of, I'm like, okay, son, can, that's a bit too much. Uh, you've got to vomit now. 
It's Hanky. Of course. No, and uh, thank you for coming on today, Laura, then. And, yeah, we'll put all your links in the description box below this video. If you want to show any support to Laura, please do. And, uh, yeah, if you like what you've seen today, obviously like and subscribe. And see you soon. Thank you.